Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Carton Cast. My name is Ben, and my name is Zane. Should I introduce uh, myself in- now, or or will I? You know, there's no set intro. There's really no formula. <laughs> we claim to have a formula, and we break it every time. So we don't if remember you want which to, one it was. It, do it now, and then okay. we'll introduce you again, and then you can do it twice. Okay, fine. Uh, my name is Jeff Ryan. I'm the author of A Mouse Divided, How Bioworks Became Forgotten, and How Walt Disney Became Uncle Walt. And uh, this is the podcast where we review old cartoons and see what we think of them as adults. Um, and today, for our very special, ever-popular, ever-present bootlegged segment, we have a guest. Yes. W- welcome on the show, Jeff. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, so uh, I, I had the fortune of meeting you last year at the Philly RetroCon. I was walking around real shifty, trying to get my boyfriend a autographed uh, picture of Jem, and just generally <laughs> trying not to shake hands with anyone who might have like malaria or anything. Um, and I found your table, and uh, you were you were selling this book. Yes. Now, now, first off, did I pass on any confunk to you? Because it's uh, always it, a possibility, know, both sides. I handed out a lot of cards. I'm not saying that it may, it must have come from you, but it, you know, maybe. I'm sorry for the con crud then. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a worry that anyone who walks into one of those rooms has to deal with. <laughs> I understand. It is, it is a constant risk. Um, but yeah, uh, you were kind enough to chat me up and uh, I bought the book A Mouse Divided from you and I've got my signed copy by our very own Jeff Ryan right here to the Carton cast. Would you believe that? Very nice. Yeah, and um, yeah, I've I've been I've been reading through it, so um, I'd love to pick your brain a little bit about how you kind of came to this, what you do. Um, give us the hard sell on on this book. Okay, great. Uh, this is a book that I always wanted to read, which is how Mickey Mouse became Mickey Mouse. And I looked, and there wasn't a book around that. I had written a previous book about Super Mario, very creatively titled Super Mario, which does the same exact thing for, take a wild guess, which video game character. You, you understand that you are impossible to Google unless you know what you do, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's I like a million yeah, Jeff Super- Ryans and Super Mario and they as well. all are authors. <laughs> like... I actually was driving down the road and I passed a truck and on the truck it said Jeff Ryan dot com. Oh my god. <laughs> take so I take a picture of a separate guy who is also an author and he has actually put it on the side of his truck. I put it up on Twitter and he doesn't even respond. <laughs> what a cad. <laughs> I think that just goes to show how terrible I am at Twitter, because that <laughs> at, at least, least one on other there. person should have been interested in the fact that two people with the same name were and same occupation were driving next to each other and had photographic <laughs> proof of it. You just send him a message like, eh? Eh? <laughs> message from your better half. <laughs> we should have changed books at least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just keep in contact a little bit. It's serendipity at that from point. From Jeff Ryan to Jeff Ryan parentheses not a dimensional thing <laughs> not a dimensional thing there's no mirror mirror thing going on the two of us can team up to uh, fight the other jeff ryans around the world <laughs> like highlander yes exactly like highlander there can be only you and and then the terrible moment when we've killed all of the other ones and we look and we realize this is it this is the final <laughs> battle you realize <laughs> that now you're all alone and there's no one left to talk to you were jeff ryan now. all along <laughs> How many other Twilight Zone cliches can we <laughs> bring into this? But uh, in any case, yeah, I, I wanted to ask you about your um, your history as an author. What uh, what kind of got you started I, on this path? 
I want to hear about the Super Mario book. Well, <laughs> we don't really have so much time. Today. We did just do a Super Mario episode, but... I saw that, yes. So, had you watched those cartoons growing up, or were they new to you? <laughs> they were pretty new to me. I, I have vague memories of having like seen Like a single episode. Yeah. I certainly didn't remember the Mario rap, though. <laughs> now, when they were originally aired, they had bookend segments. Uh, were you able to watch the bookend segments with Captain uh, Lou Albana as <laughs> Super Mario himself? Yes. Yes, it was amazing. Those are treasured memories. He is memories. my favorite Mario. <laughs> yes, and then on Fridays, they didn't have Mario. On Fridays, they had uh, Zelda and Link. They did, yes. <laughs> and there there was weird cross-promotion things before they realized that shows could just be shows by themselves and didn't have to market other stuff. I think it was also because they couldn't make 22 minutes of a cartoon yet and put it on the air five days a week. They could make like 15 minutes, so then they had all these wraparound segments. Mm-hmm. I really, I really dug the Sesame Street esque live action segments with Lou Albano and Danny Wells wearing Mario and Luigi costumes. <laughs> so that was uh, that was one of the things that I ended up covering in the Super Mario book, and it spanned, that's amazing. It spanned like thirty years, but it made me wonder because they were copying from the the Mickey Mouse playbook pretty thoroughly. Uh, oh yeah. How Disney came up with the playbook in the first place because no one had done that before. So that's what got me interested in saying, Hey, maybe I'll just write a, a Mickey Mouse biography. And I thought it would be a, a quick, uh, a quick write, but it was not because there is a lot of stuff people have written about Mickey Mouse over the years and Walt yeah. Disney. This is incredibly deep. Apparently, you've got a research assistant. You've pulled anecdotes from so many different family lineages. Like, I can only imagine how many porches that you've sipped mint juleps on while talking to you know, various <laughs> people of uh, Disney and Eworks and um, all those different families about their granddad's anecdotes. Most all of it was, was done in the library and online and just by, by cracking books. Uh, yeah. A lot of the the best stuff I found has been in books. Now, some of the books have not ever seen the light of day. The 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 <laughs> biggest one was a man named Richard Hubler wrote a Disney biography six months after Walt died. He talked to all of Walt's family and friends, and uh, then the family shelved the biography. This was an authorized mm-hmm. biography, which means that if the family doesn't like it, it doesn't come out. And they didn't like it, so it didn't come out. And the only copy of it, most people thought, was was buried deep in the Disney vault, and I don't have access to the Disney vault. But I found out that Richard Hubler, after he died, gave his papers to a library. So I went to the library, and I was able to read not just the manuscript that he submitted, but all of the, the notes and the, oh, all of the interviews so he had done. And You're like a literature amazing. detective. He was working it's like it came out of an 60s. episode of Monk. <laughs> yeah, he was working in the 60s on a typewriter. And I didn't think about the specifics of how you do writing on a typewriter. Like if he had like a five page interview, he would staple the pages together. So we'd have one five page long page. Wow. Oh, oh. And if he wanted to add a, a big quote, like if there's a, a huge page long paragraph that he wanted to add in, he wouldn't then retype it in. He would just cut it out of his notes and staple it in. Wow. So good. <laughs> I, I mean, like, uh, this is uh, reading the book. It kind of gave me dual flashes of both uh, just being very impressed and also being very um, kind of starstruck because the effort that goes into make it to an uh, writing a book is such an undertaking that I've never considered before, and like I said, you go deep into the, in kind of the, in, into the into the vault of Disney anecdotes, and it, 
I have deeply been enjoying the book. I haven't finished it. I've gotten right about to the the first big uh, kind of twist where where Oob leaves uh, Disney Studios. Okay, and great. I am loving the pacing so far. Oh, thank you very much. I I tried to focus on the fact that it was going to be readable. I. I yeah. read all different sorts of books, but I'm trying to make a book that people who don't know anything about Disney and don't read books that often would would enjoy. And also, you, those that, are both of me. <laughs> and also that people who do know a huge, huge amount about Disney can read through and kind of grudgingly say, "Yeah, okay, okay, this guy, yeah, yeah, this stuff is right. Uh, okay, fine, fine, fine." Yeah, so, something that couldn't really be argued with, um, which is not, you know, um, you, you paint Walt sorry. in so many different. Uh, you use so many different brushes to kind of characterize him because he was apparently so many different people all in the same the same husk of a P.T. Barnum-esque salesman. Yeah, and I think a lot of that came from from the fact that he was always acting. He was always putting on a role. Uncle Walt, I say uh, later on, not to spoil it too much, but no, uh, it's fine. Disney goes public, and Walt, who used to run a private company, now needs to talk to shareholders all the time and constantly uh-huh. reassure them, what we're doing is just fine. Please don't butt in. Please don't tell us what to do with our money. So in order right. to do that, he needs to communicate, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's doing just peachy. Let me let, Come over here. Let me show you what some of these great animators are doing. And that's what he would do to like Roy and Oob when he was trying to convince them to, like, no, sink a bunch of money into the sound system or, or some other thing. Just, like, follow me and trust me. Yeah. And don't worry about how it'll how all the numbers sync up. There was a, a great quote uh, where he had uh, signed over uh, a deal where he'd have to pay twenty six thousand dollars a year for the next ten years to get the sound system. And he didn't, I know he didn't talk to Roy, his business partner, about this. And Roy's like, "What? Are, what are you thinking? What are you thinking of?" And and uh, Walt's response, and then he did it again like two weeks later. Yeah, Walt's response is, "Well, what the hell? I wanted it." Yeah, that, that oh, one almost yeah. felt felt kind of spiteful. <laughs> so, so I I have to ask because uh, I I haven't read uh, the book at all. Um, it sounds well, that's the end like of this you, podcast. I'll talk to you guys later. It sounds like <laughs> it sounds like you've um, you know written it in a chronological sort of way, but I have to imagine that the information you got you know was all over the place. So, how did you structure that in your head as like where does this story actually begin? Ooh, chronology really helps in that case. Uh, did you have like a cork board with strings and stuff? I actually did try to make a crazy board for like six oh, months. I I uh, look like Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny, but uh, oh my god, I love that scene! <laughs> but uh, I was not able to to really pull much out of that. And then I I cut a lot of the stuff that ended up being on the crazy board. <laughs> yes, Day bow bow. Do you know? Do you remember who he's trying to prove the existence of? Uh, Pepe uh, Silvia. Pepe Silvia. Yes, Pepe Silvia is Philadelphia. He just keeps hearing that mean? Philadelphia and thinks that it's Pepe Silvia. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I never connected that. Wow. Yes. Every time he hears the name of the city he lives in, the city that, that is the, <laughs> the, the, the show is angels. named after, he thinks that it's a conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. I mean, that... that uh, yep. I, I'm trying very hard not to get tracked down a you know um it's always sunny hole uh, and it's always sunny hole but it, it is hard um i i i have to just gush for a second because like i'm not i'm not you know 
I didn't just do my due diligence to make sure that I could uh, bring my best foot forward to this episode. I've really been enjoying the book because of a few different things. Like, I love the way that you marry history to great character expression. Like, that, that thing you were talking about, chronologically pacing everything, but also giving us the fabric of that Oob-Walt relationship. I found that very compelling. Oh, thank you. Uh, when I was doing research on this, I and now we've gotten back to where we were talking about before, before uh, I brought us into <laughs> a, a crazy train. Sorry about that. Yep. Uh, yep. Seg- Segway King. Yeah. I tried to uh, I tried to research the book chronologically. So uh, there's like 10 different Walt Disney biographies. I read them in the order they were released. And mm. that way, instead of learning the, the most recent stuff first, I learned like, here's the baseline. Here's what people in the 50s knew about Walt. And then here's what people in the 60s learned about Walt. And here's what people in the 70s learned about Walt. So I was able to, to figure out how our impressions of Walt Disney changed over the years and that didn't necessarily come into play in terms of what i was writing but it helped me understand who he was and how people saw him hmm. yeah it must have been an even more uh tricksy affair trying to figure out what ubi works was about i assume there's less material out there there's a, a lot less i in an ideal world this book would be 50 walt 50 oob but uh yeah it's more like 60 40 and i tried really hard to make it 50 50 but you you definitely keep it grounded with you know how was oob taking this whole affair as walt was gallivanting off in new york trying to schmooze with uh sound companies and and the like yeah if if you're gonna be uh if you're gonna feel and root for someone most of the time you end up rooting for oob but you also yes. end up rooting he, for you paint walt him very too. tragically yeah you end up rooting for walt also because he's he's still an underdog he's an independent working in a in a world of of giant conglomerates and he was able to make his own giant conglomerate it's it's the most distilled example of chasing the american dream that i think i've ever seen hmm. yeah i it is, i would agree with you you know he 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 started up kansas city like had to had a bankrupt and like leave town before his creditors could catch him. <laughs> he like did that like three or four different times before. Like <laughs> I love that taking that was a train in first then. class, <laughs> taking taking a train in first class over to Los Angeles. I don't know. He just like, he's got this never di- say die spirit that you you kind of can't help but root for. Yeah, if um, if all yeah. of this fell apart and animation didn't work, he would have just moved on to something else. Uh, I found something where he said that he was thinking about going to real estate and going into directing, and then he was trying to be an extra. He would have just kept on entrepreneuring, if that is. <laughs> yeah, the he's word. so mercurial and head in the clouds, and it's you know you, he just you have really to didn't want to like die in an office. Yeah, it, it does feel like that. He definitely wanted to be kind of tr- plotting the his course of his own destiny. Um, I also really appreciate you've got this talent for turning a phrase in the book that every time one happens, I take my big dumb red pen out and like underline it and <laughs> sum it up at the top of the page so I can reference it later. Um, if you don't mind, if it wouldn't make you feel too bad, I'd like to uh, cite a couple of sources for that within oh, your book. Oh, I'm just going to sit down in my papasan and swoon. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're talking about Walt Disney. I'm going to quote from your book. No one in history schmoozed in a letter better than Walt Disney. He could flatter the stripe off a skunk. His letters abounded with ellipses, bold words, underlines, profanities, excoriations, compliments, and enough hyperbole to impress Paul Bunyan. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just... Love it. Love that. I love your sense of idiom. 
Thanks. I it took me seven years to write this, and and some of it was just realizing. Well, if it's going to be seven years of me taking writing this, I might as well make sure I don't have any dud sentences in here. You're like that one's okay, <laughs> but can I make it better? Can I make it shinier? And a lot of that was was killing the really excessive sentences. So for every sentence like that, which thank you very much, actually kind of works. There's a lot that just didn't. Where I was like, well, I'm just going to snip this thing off. So in, uh-huh. instead of a tree with 83 branches and four of them look pretty i have a tree with seven branches and four of them look pretty the, uh, <laughs> you, it, it, it so almost feels as though you compliment. were it almost feels as though you were kind of adopting some walt disney-esque attributes toward your uh, your process because you know he he had you know the talent for making the very cheap kind of cornball jokes and i'm seeing a lot of great pun work that make me feel as though you were kind of inhabiting the spirit of walt disney like when you were talking about um, how the medium was really pushing forward to the sound being incorporated into cartoons, and it was just, you know, barely kind of usable technology, and syncing it up was a real pain, but everyone knew if you could do it, you could plot the destiny of the medium. And then you follow that up with, it was sink or swim, with sink spelled the obvious way. <laughs> yeah, that worked so much better in print than when I try to say it. I've actually tried to use that line, and then I, like, really emphasize the you gotta, word You've got to, like, go back over it. And then I just wait, so then people think, oh, he's waiting. <laughs> Was there something in that sentence that was important that I'm missing? And then I explain the joke, and then people are like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you had I'm, to explain the joke. <laughs> your, your efforts definitely definitely got me. So uh, I I'm, I'm, can't wait to read the rest of it. I'm now, you know, I definitely want to read the Nintendo book, given how much we love uh, Super Mario. But honestly, that it's it's been a great read so far. Oh, thank you very much. So should we move on and start talking about uh, the man of the hour himself? Horace Horse Collar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Horace Horse Collar uh, was invented at the same time as Mickey Mouse. On the same day, probably the same hour. Him and Clarabelle Cow. Yeah, they were they were rejected, uh, you know, possible front runners before they settled on the mouse, right? It's, it's, yes. it's part of Disney's shtick like, oh, you didn't like that that much? Well, what about this one? What about, what about that a different one? animal? <laughs> yeah. The, with just as soulless eyes. The animals are all basically interchangeable. One of the uh, one of the things I cut out of the book because I needed to shrink it down to size. Uh, were you guys fans? I'm. I will be shocked if you say no. Were you guys fans of the Disney Afternoon of the late '80s and early '90s? You know, we, are you talking about House of Mouse? Yeah, or, we, or, or the thing that House of Mouse? <laughs> no, no, uh, came before from? House of Mouse, like Tailspin, Darkspin, Darkwing Duck, oh, Chippendales, Darkwing Rescue Duck. Rangers. Darkwing Duck maintains, like, remains one of my favorite cartoons that we've done so far. Like, it wasn't a great episode because our audio quality was shit back then, but, man, that is an excellent, excellent show. Yes, yeah, and for for a while, right before the Batman cartoon came on, that was, like, the only superhero thing that was on TV. It was like, you know, it's about a duck, but this is pretty good. This is pretty good mm-hmm. stuff. No, it's 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 good because it's about a duck. <laughs> <laughs> You you wouldn't know this. Ben has a long and storied history, uh, love of ducks and all things. I have duck a kind. whole duck diorama. I, I have a whole duck diorama in my like hang uh, like on my windowsill, just rubber ducks and like little little swan things, like a wicker <laughs> duck basket, a bunch of little like soapstone stuff. It's like it's a whole duck dynasty over here. <laughs> wow, my friend uh, Cassine Gaines wrote fourteen thousand words about Howard the Duck for Rolling Stone a year or two ago. You, no kidding. Yeah, he wrote a whole oral history. Oh, uh, was he upset about that snub in Endgame? How are the duck not kind of showing back up? 
Oh, he did. No. He was a uh, he was hidden. He was a little Easter yeah, egg. I saw him. Oh, was he? Yes, I missed him for some reason. Yes. <laughs> I watched the movie, then I Googled it, then I found the screen cap, then I rewatched all of Endgame, and I caught him the second time around. He was there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we got him. <laughs> so uh, uh, so the Disney Afternoon needed a new cartoon every year because uh, mm. Disney basically sold a two-hour block of cartoons to, uh, to various different networks and said, we'll handle all the advertising, you just give us the uh, – we'll buy two hours worth of time and then we'll sell the advertising secondhand. So that's how they, yeah. they worked. And they would always cycle in new cartoons every year. Mm-hmm. So they were looking at all of the Disney back catalog in order to make cartoons. And uh, since they were making a new 60 episode cartoon every year, there, there was a lot of, of need. So one mm-hmm. of the things that did not make it to the final cut was a cartoon called maximum horsepower. And <laughs> this was a I'm cartoon. So far, this was a cartoon starring Horace horse collar. Who, impossible as who speed racer <laughs> no no it's it's better than that it's crazier than that it's like something charlie kaufman would write horace horse collar basically disappeared from the from the disney canon around 1931 or so they just stopped putting him in cartoons because who wants to see a horse <laughs> yeah it, it gone are the days of the famous mr ed i suppose yeah so uh according to the head canon of of this story he has gotten kidnapped by aliens in 1931 and that's sure. why he's no longer showing up and he's gotten these like alien superpowers and he's been fighting crime throughout the galaxy and he comes yes. back to earth and then it's like hey guys i'm back you miss me and i'm back and everyone's like who are you He's like, I'm Horace Horse Collar, everyone's wow. favorite. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> oh. they didn't what a sense of self-deprecating gone. humor. I am so happy to have you on because you have this, like, it, <laughs> it, it almost feels a little bit like when we have Nick on because he specifically does a podcast just about Scooby-Doo. And so he knows we, everything. He knows everything that's ever been about Scooby Doo, and you know, we we try to do a bunch of different cartoons. But you know so much about Disney that it is terrifying. What's weird is that my Disney knowledge level is like a six, because I've been yeah, interacting other with scholars? people who are like real Disney fans who are like hitting tens in terms of when they watch a film, they they know all of the people involved in the making of each shot they know the in-betweener oh they know the the lead That's... animator the fact that i don't know the lead animator and then in-betweeners makes me like oh why are you even you're bothering to write <laughs> you're casual yeah yes wow. i'm a filthy casual <laughs> that's amazing just get good scrub where do you um because it sounds like you're you're very uh, involved in understanding of the early stuff and sort of the classical Disney characters. Are are the is the modern stuff an area of interest for you as well, or is that so far gone that it's 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 as different as a completely different uh, work? I I mean I watch them as as a fan and as a, a, a sure. parent of kids, but I'm not. Uh, I don't have the breadth of knowledge about them, but I do. Mm-hmm. I'm able to find little bits and pieces of of it that that suggests that people who made it were in turn big Disney super fans. Like uh, in the film Up, the bad guy's name is Charles Muntz. And, oh, that's nice. And in uh, in, Zane, the in the first world, act, Charles Mintz is the main villain. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So they they borrowed the villain's name. Here's, yeah, that's real good. Okay, two more deep cuts of trivia, which I don't yes, think please. are in the book. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, good. Ooh, <laughs> Gotta use this somewhere. <laughs> okay, there were three people who ended up uh, 
uh, key in making Disneyland. You can Google these three names, and there's a picture of all three of them holding up a map of Disneyland. Walt Disney is one of them. The second one is a guy named Harrison Price, and the third guy is named J.V. Wood. Harrison Price and J.V. Wood were nicknamed Buzz and Woody. No way. Yeah. That's great. Wow. Now, wait, it gets even crazier because the fact that Buzz and Woody are the names of the two leads in, in Toy Story is a coincidence. What? No. We it know. Be. I know it's a coincidence because J.V. Wood is hated among Walt Disney because he sued Disney uh, saying, oh. like, I'm supposed to get, like, 5 or 15% of the gate of Disneyland. Uh, it's not in my contract, but I'm suing anyways for it. It was something absurd wow. like that. So his name is Persona Non Grata, and they would not name a, a beloved character after him. Oh, that's so good. They just just they did it by they accident. Just happened to <laughs> yeah. name a character. So wow. So are you Lord. going to be the person who finally explains to us the plot of Kingdom Hearts? Because oh. <laughs> we somebody need somebody. Has to. <laughs> we can't just keep going on without knowing, right? But <laughs> I I have the the key of of understanding Kingdom Hearts. Unfortunately, it's eight feet tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You really need good upper body strength. Uh, do you guys? Well, how about we start getting involved in the production history of what we're all here to talk about? The nineteen yes. thirties film known as. Fiddlesticks. Okay, great. Now, if you are a fan of the the Disney canon, and if you say, yes, I've read every Disney book, I've watched all of the the Disney films, I own all of the DVDs, and I've not heard of Fiddlesticks, you are right, because Fiddlesticks is not a Disney production. Uh, Fiddlesticks was the first cartoon made by Oob Iwerks after Iwerks left Disney. Yeah, I I want to pick your brain about this subject specifically because it is such a huge turning point in the animation history. Namely, like, why do you think he left? How how kind of did that entire situation shake out? Most all of it was because Walt was mistreating Oob. They had been friends and business partners for 10 years, and Roy was giving Oob more and more of a percentage of ownership in the company. So Roy being by, Walt's brother. Yes. So by 1930, Oob owns 20% of Disney. So some of his paycheck every yeah. week goes into to buying like the, the internal stock. So he's an owner of Disney, but he felt like he was still being treated like an employee and a, and a middling employee at that. So Walt hmm. would yell at him on Monday, you got to go faster. We need a lot of these cartoons. Just speed, speed, speed. Don't put in this detail. And, and Oob could do it. Oob would do it. And then Walt would look at it. And he'd instead of saying, oh, I shouldn't have said that. We need more detail. He would go to Oob and yell, Oob, you left all the detail out. What's wrong with you? Ooh. It, it, you you describe it as something as like the Disney delivery or the I, I can't remember your exact phrasing of it, but it's just apparently like a Disney kind of treat your family like shit sort of understanding that uh, all the all the Disney wives would talk about the Disney disposition. The Disney sort disposition, of a, yeah, sort of a modern incarnation of the Pharaoh. It's a not, little bit. It's not quite <laughs> like build, Pharaoh. Build my pyramid. <laughs> but uh, Walt and Roy had a very. Uh, uh, domineering father who yelled all the time and they carried that over the way that if if you know the sins of the father get passed on with the son so sure so they they both yelled a lot to each other and to their wives unfortunately and definitely to their co-workers and the way that they would apologize was to simply stop yelling because there was so much yelling it's just not worth it to apologize every time you would yell because you'd be apologizing all the time so they simply mm-hmm. yeah. would, <laughs> would just almost like stop you had yelling. a soul <laughs> yeah 
and you needed to learn. Yeah, but uh, Oob was a little bit more fra- emotionally fragile than that, and so he took it pretty personal, it seems like, and uh, eventually just said, I can't deal anymore. Yes, and he didn't just quit as an employee. He didn't just quit as no. uh, as a one fifth owner of Disney. He quit as the like the genius. Everyone at the time assumed that Oob was the one who was responsible for Mickey's success. If you watch any of the early cartoons, it says Walt Disney Pictures and Oob Iwerks uh, cartoon, and Oob Iwerks is written bigger than Walt Disney. So Walt, <laughs> yeah, back he was, then, he was knew, an industry like titan at the time. Yeah. So when he left, everyone assumed this is this is the end of Disney because Mickey Mouse as a character is no great shakes. We're not in love with mice. We don't love big ears. We don't love singing and dancing uh, that's specific to this particular character. We love how he does it. And Oob was going yeah. to bring that over somewhere else. So all the smart money said Oob is going to succeed and Walt's going to fail. It's going to take a couple of years for Walt to fail because uh, Disney was had a good head of steam. But mm-hmm. uh, Oob, is, uh, Oob is the fast horse in this race. But then it ends up being the other way around because Oob rejoined Disney in 36. So in that six years, somehow just a complete reversal of expectations took place. Yes. Uh, uh, it began with the very first cartoon that they, that Iwerks put out called Fiddlesticks, which we had previously mentioned. Excellent. Bringing it back around. Yeah. We could talk about Disney history forever, but uh, it's probably wise to actually get down to it. Okay. Um, so well, I, I am uh, briefly curious about why he rejoined Disney and how important that was to the fact that Snow White came out the year after. He rejoined in uh, in like 1940 or so. He went out of business in 36, and he kind of oh, bummed around I for a couple that. of years. But uh, he sent a very nice telegram to Walt Disney after the success of Snow White. But he wasn't part of Snow White's success. I see. But that may have been one of the reasons why he came back, because if you if you needed any proof that Disney Studios could do great things without Oob there, there's no uh, greater proof than uh, than Snow White. Right. Cool. So yeah, yeah I, really I usually do the production reading, and and I'm just trying to see like what did I look up, but apparently I didn't look up enough. <laughs> it's really exciting to have Zane on the back foot for this. <laughs> no, it's uh, there's there's a lot of complicated stuff. The whole first chapter of the book is dealing with like the 19 different legends about how they made Mickey Mouse, which is yeah. weird because someone sat down and drew a mouse with big ears. There, you're done. It's it's <laughs> over. There's not that much story behind. I made a doodle. Nice. Uh, But yeah, let's move to Fiddlesticks then. Okay. So Disney made black and white films. Everyone in cartoons made black and white films. Disney owned Mm -hmm. the copyright on uh, three-color Technicolor to make films. But uh, after Oob left, he was their technician. There was no way they were going to move over to making three-color. And one of the reasons why it's prohibitively expensive. You need to make lots and lots of paints. You need to make three different uh, strips instead of one because that's how Technicolor worked. You physically made three different uh, strips and then merged them all together. It's, it was very expensive to do, and Disney wasn't interested in doing it back then. So Oob decides, well, three-color Technicolor is off the table, but two-color Technicolor is still on the table. So he, he worked backwards from the fact that if you took blue and green and mixed them together... Oh, I'm sorry. If you took um, green and red and mixed them together, you could make brown. 
And mm. if you can have green and brown, you can have most of the outside scenes. You can have trees. Yeah. You can have a swamp. You can have dirt, grass, all of all of that. Flip is nothing more stuff. than just green and red anyway. So, yeah. Yes. So he designed a character, Flip the Frog, who was green with a red bow tie. And uh, he designed Flip to look very much like a frog, almost disgustingly like a frog, instead of like a, like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> it gets kind of like uncanny valley at times. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that the eyes are where the shoulders should be, and the mouth is is like the 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 whole torso is like whoa. That's probably yeah, what a like real Kirby. frog would look like. Yeah, there's 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 some mouth problems, and there's also like the way his limbs articulate. Like when they're just frog limbs, that's fine. And then they do this weird like noodle hula dance that <laughs> really throws me off. But the noodle hula dance—that's great. That uh, that is classic rubber hose animation. Uh, yeah. In the early days, people didn't understand the idea of mass and volume. So if you wanted to reach across the room, your arm would simply grow from like three feet long to <laughs> forty-four feet long without getting any thinner. Without tapering down <laughs> like i now weigh 500 pounds and 350 of that is arm and then i'm just going to retract it back in i'm going to lose all of that mass and volume i love it when they play with that and like make like little like winch r- ratchet retracting noises with the arm to mm-hmm. make it come back in place yeah there's a there's a whole lot of creativity that can come into play when when physics just goes out the window entirely and yeah. oh totally yeah that's we, my we favorite t- part of like flip banging on the piano is like the is the legs of the piano like you know under strain like knees that are about to buckle oh i love that stuff pretty much anything in popeye which we've we've covered before like the reason why that pops and is so entertaining is because anything can come to life and move like anything else yeah we we do we have had a a familiarity with this general era of animation i mean obviously in that era of animation things moved pretty fast and loose and you know each year was making wide advances on it but uh we did do popeye from the 1930s and you see a lot of similar stuff as uh as in fiddlesticks a lot of the same shorthand for kind of creating um creating easier work in animation. I wanted to point at one specific example in Fiddlesticks, which is this sort of back-and-forth bopping motion that the characters do, which is, uh, it looks like just a clear way to reuse frames in animation because you, the music is different, so it gives you the illusion that you're actually creating more content, but Flip is still doing kind of his shimmy-to-the-audience thing just back-and-forth for a couple of measures. Yeah, and uh, when you're talking about dancing, that's one of the things that oob excelled at because it was so economical you draw one keyframe of arms up one keyframe of arms like at the at uh at three o'clock and one of arms at like 115 and then you can just flip back and forth back and forth back and forth and your arms are moving back and then you can reverse it and you have them doing it to both arms so he's drawn like three half drawings but he can just then right in the margin flip this around and play it over and over again he's a character dancing for 10 seconds yeah yeah yeah, it's 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 so interesting because we've se- we've dealt with early '80s cartoons where limited animation was king, and just seeing that you know the the technology was different, but the ethos of save the frames, you know, reuse as much as possible because that is the industry that we live in is 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 alive and well even back here. But the difference is these early cartoons, you know, there is such a requirement that everything move and be alive and vivacious. Uh, that kind of got lost by the 80s, where they're just standing. Yeah. Um, 
In terms of, I'd like to point out, um, I'd like to talk about the musical content of this. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, you, You mentioned in your book that out of the gate, Walt got it. You don't add sound to a visual gag, you add images to an audio gag, which... I think kind of encapsulates the era is that it, it wasn't radio plays. It wasn't very special to merely draw a cartoon. It was syncing that up with the music that really gave it enough pop to capture people's uh, attention. And so that's why so many of these early cartoons are something that there's a lot of chance to um, do, you know, the, like the Opry House. There's a lot of chance for a piano song. There's a lot of chance for a lot of music to be showcased. It's almost like a tech demo of just syncing up a bunch of cartoon stuff with a bunch of musical stuff and making sure there's many opportunities for sound effects for the entire thing. Yeah, it's kind of like a like a superhero film in that you were expecting there's going to be fights at some point. And if you can come up with a story that's 80% fight, well, good for you. You're, you're <laughs> so much better than someone who's only come up with two fights. But yeah, <laughs> back to Popeye. Yeah, but half of yeah. all the Mickey Mouse cartoons back then was just like, oh, okay, this is just an excuse for him to go and start dancing. And okay, we're three minutes in, and the cartoon is basically over in terms of plot. It's just going to be dancing gags over and over again. Right, and that's actually like it's interesting because back then you also had a lot of movies that were just musical reviews. So like Fiddlesticks was paired with The King of Jazz, which was just a series of, of song and dance numbers pretty much. You had um, that whole um, Silly Symphonies was, was one of the big uh, things that Disney was marketing back then, and that was very much showcasing the ad- addition of sound to cartoons and that there wasn't much beyond that. Yes. Now there is a, uh, there is a guest star in the first Fiddlesticks, we, uh, I'm sure you guys were able to to find it. Uh, audiences at home, yeah, that's if, Spider. If you have watched, uh, yeah, yeah that's Charlotte, Spider, yes. right? Charlotte showed yeah. up. Oob spiders all have six arms instead of eight. That was one of his I, uh, many tricks this one of had animation. Bangs. I was a particular fan of Winch Turtle, but I, I guess not everybody <laughs> kind of has my appreciation of Winch Turtles. No, but for those who have not watched this uh, this cartoon, Mickey Mouse shows up by the very end, to do a duet with Flip. Sort of. (laughs) Sort of, yes. Kind of, maybe. An off-brand Michael Moose. Mortimer Mouse. Mortimer Mouse, yeah. (laughs) Something. So that was that was a very specific shot across the bow that that Oob made because when he yeah. he and Walt were making uh, Mickey Mouse the very first day, Walt came up with a drawing, but Walt hadn't drawn in a while, so his was kind of a a knockoff of some <laughs> mice that were in Life magazine, and they were tall, they were gawky, they looked very rat like, and those weird snoots, yeah, yeah, and that is the the rat that Oob draws. He's tall, he's gawky, he's got the snoot, he's wearing like culottes instead of shorts i guess <laughs> yeah i guess just because he couldn't wear shorts he needed to wear something else yeah oh well you'd be uh, indecent for a mouse to run around without his knickers on yeah showing some ankle disney actually got yelled at for clarabelle cow because her udder was being shown too much too sexy yeah <laughs> <laughs> kids are gonna get freaked out and go crazy so mickey mouse or the fake mickey mouse shows up in fiddlesticks just long enough for oob to uh or oob to to inhabit the role of flip the frog and disney then to inhabit the role of mickey mouse and they made musical music together and then oob slash flip tries to go off on his own play his own tune and walt slash mickey is not having it and slaps him over the head 
<laughs> yeah, that's that is like I mean, I, I'm reminded of uh, what was the movie about the guys Fight who Club. say "fuck the police." Oh, oh. straight out of Compton. Straight out of Compton, yeah, that where like rival rap gangs would would diss other rap gangs in their songs. Oh mm-hmm. wow! That, that, I, I never thought about it as like a diss track, but you're right. It is. <laughs> oh, it's absolutely a, <laughs> it's diss, a diss track. track. <laughs> <laughs> this is how they did it in the '30s. Yeah, these were gangsters for sure. And you know, Disney um, released its own diss track because yeah, it, I actually don't know this part. Okay, uh, uh, I found out. Uh, the the word got out that Flip the Frog was was going to be Iwerks's new cartoon star, and Walt was always worried about people finding out about Mickey Mouse. So there was a lot of secrecy about the creation of the first Mickey Mouse cartoons, and hmm. that secrecy became justified because as soon as Walt heard that Oop was making a frog frog cartoon, he said, "Okay, our new cartoon is going to have four minutes of frogs in it. I don't That's care right. what the existing cartoon is going to be. We're going to flood it with frogs so that by the time <laughs> Fiddlesticks comes out, people are like, yeah, I've seen cartoon frogs. It's no big deal. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You you, you described it in the book as like somebody trying to open an apple cart next to a buffet. <laughs> Again, I love that idiom. And the idea of Oob as Flip uh, persisted a little bit because, you know, as his own studio kind of didn't do as well as Disney's, the character of Flip became much more reminiscent of, like, a Depression-era worker a la, you know, Charlie Chaplin's Tramp, you know, very frustrated and stressed out and having trouble working. Yeah, and that uh, – one of the secrets about understanding Mickey Mouse uh, is that – there were two different people with two different ideas of what Mickey could be. And they basically took turns sometimes from cartoon to cartoon, sometimes from like shot to shot on who Mickey was. So (laughs) Walt's idea of Mickey Mouse was like the Charlie Chaplin, the tramp, the everyman. And Oob's idea was the swashbuckling hero. Hmm. Whose idea was it to make him a animal abusive rapist? That is a what? <laughs> probably both. That is uh, probably Walt. <laughs> like saying, it was a different time. Walt saying, "Okay, uh, have them play like an animal orchestra," and Oob saying, two minutes of animal torture." Got it. And by the time Walt, <laughs> Walt sees it, like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, when I, can I do said that for you, no problem. Playing animals, uh, I thought I meant like you know turtles as a, as a drum. I didn't think you mean like kicking a, a pregnant cow in its teeth so that it would start squealing in pain, and you see the. Pain and you see it crying yanking cats tails so that they sing out uh, measures of an opera yeah yeah he he basically invented the muppaphone but just like the creator of the <laughs> muppaphone he didn't think it was funny he the truly muppaphone. just thought this was a great way to make music <laughs> man yeah it, it 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 paints mickey in a curious light going back this far like before he had a defined personality you you would later you later uh, described him as kind of capturing hearts when he, with the, I, I think of the iconic pose of him with the arms behind his back, kind of kicking up dust at the, mm-hmm. on the ground, the aw shucks kind of pose. Yeah. That's how he seems to me now, or at least in, in terms of my canonical Mickey, but it very much was not true for a number of years. No, no. The very first Mickey Mouse is, uh, is is like a, a sexual assaulter. He flies Minnie yeah, up to 5,000 feet, and then she's stuck on the plane, then he tries to make a move on her, and then move after move. And He's then, got crazy eyes. And then then she basically tries to kill herself to to escape uh, Mickey's fate. Yeah, he, they were way into suicide jokes, too. 
Yeah, that that's not the only suicide gag with Mickey Mouse in the early years. <laughs> it's wild. It's so hard for me to picture a lot of this just because I'm <laughs> only familiar really with Mickey from House Woo-hoo! of Mouse where he's just like <laughs> kind wow, of nobody. <laughs> yeah. There was one joke- I would love a modern day flip though. There was one joke I never got to to fit into the book, but it's from uh uh, TV Treehouse, the Robert Smigel cartoon, where they they talk about all these terrible things that Disney has done, and Mickey is is the host trying to explain all of it. Like they still have <laughs> Jim Henson alive and in the vault because he wouldn't sign. <laughs> like at a deposition. <laughs> <laughs> and and then at the end, Mickey says something like, "Ah, oh, maybe we weren't perfect, but but still, I'm still the the great little guy that made you laugh for all those years." And the kids look at each other and say, "You were supposed to be funny." <laughs> oh, rough stuff. <laughs> rough stuff, Mickey. Man, I I honestly could just pick your brain for hours. It would not be that hard. There is so much history here. Um, but as we are kind of describing the characters of Oob and uh, Mickey playing uh, the parts of, or uh, Oob and uh, Walt playing the parts of Flip and Mickey, how about we just get into it whole whole hog and start with the actual and start going through the actual plot of Fiddlesticks. <laughs> Yeah, and audience, if you want to watch this one, this is only six minutes long. Yeah, so so play it about 20 times in quick succession, because that's how long it'll take to actually talk about it. <laughs> so was this, was this the oldest cartoon you guys have done on the Carton cast? Yes. Yeah, because we did yes, Fantasia and Popeye, but this is st- still predating it by, uh, mm-hmm. by uh, 10 years. Yeah, our, our kind of wheelhouse is in the 80s and 90s for the most part, with a, a little bit of 2000s thrown in there, and then you get your occasional weird ones, but uh, yeah. You get diminishing returns as you go back farther and farther, and things kind of just kind of muddle together. A, a little bit. They all kind of, you, you start to see patient zero in a, after a fashion before the industry, basically DuckTales is the turning point, I think, <laughs> where things started to actually, uh, I'm serious. And we didn't man, like DuckTales that much either, so. <laughs> no, but like it kicked off the animation renaissance. It was important. Disney was like, oh, I can just sell this. I, it doesn't even need to be toys. I can just sell syndicated cartoons and just make them really good. And that's, yeah, that's don't, enough. Don't sell the meat, sell the sizzle. Yeah. Um, so we, we start on the title screen with a dirge-like melody which i wasn't expecting but then <laughs> get ready for dirges <laughs> once we see F- yes once we see flip in action the music uh kind of becomes more upbeat and and we're going to describe the music a lot because it's a musical the characters move with music there's no words per se it's just sort of uh it's a show Ub was much more focused on the technical aspects of putting on the show rather than like character or plot okay i've got well, a well, question as- for you guys uh, Oob sure. was known for economy of animation, and the uh, the central image here is Flip the Frog playing a banjo with one string. Are we to <laughs> actually assume that this is a one-string banjo, or are we supposed to assume five strings, and he only just drew one? Uh, I assume it's a one-string banjo because it's more whimsical that way. Okay, so it's like a, like a jug band sort of thing. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. <laughs> Ever, as someone is playing the clarinet by blowing on a jar with two X's on it, yes. <laughs> I, I honestly love that kind of, uh, that surreal 
visual humor. It kind of surprises me some of the stuff that Oob was actually bringing to the table for Fiddlesticks because as far as I understand it, and like I think you went into this, he wasn't much of a joke teller. No, he was... Uh... His idea of a joke was to open up the the bonnet of a vehicle with a V6 engine, and there's a V8 engine inside. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those things. Wait, so I asked for a diet unfunny. Coke. It loops around and becomes funny again. <laughs> it's so charming, and, and you you describe him as like more of a craftsman than an artist. So it's all about making a very quality animation product without actually having much of a voice to it. Mm. Exactly. Which became a problem uh, writ large when he became his own studio head because his characters didn't really have any sort of uh, identity. They were just dolls you could pick up and put into different cartoons. So they, yeah. they didn't have, they weren't cartoon characters the way we think of them. They were just drawings that he could move. Mm-hmm. They're very, uh, they're very lifeless, and and you really do see that right away. Going back to Fiddlesticks, like I compared this one to the Opry House, I thought as like kind of two contemporary points of uh, media, and it's immediately apparent. Like Mickey dancing in time with kind of a soldier drum thing is so much more personalized and uh, and and really sells a character so much better than I don't even kind of know how to describe his uh, this little jaunt that he's doing up riverside <laughs> like this i he just kind of like bipping and bopping and shaking his uh shaking his ankles in tune with some like weird anchor bells uh, well it's it's ironic it's surreal it's ironic because the way he moves punctuates you know the the big downbeats or the staccato notes of the tune and this was a common and popular choice of movement during this era and is known today as mickey mousing exactly really yeah mickey mousing <laughs> So I guess he lost that war. <laughs> yes. Well, and, yeah, one of the biggest wars to lose, I suppose. And and one of the first jarring things about this was one of the ways that he emphasized the notes is by quacking. He, yeah, okay. So I actually have a lot to say about this. <laughs> as far as I could tell, and maybe, maybe you can help me develop this theory, or maybe you have an actual answer for this, Jeff. Okay. But uh, what I assumed was that in creating the track of the music, they needed a easily replicatable sound effect, and a rivet would not do. So they probably used something like a duck whistle. Yes, I believe that that sounds right. And I think they were collecting a bunch of barnyard sounds and swamp sounds while they were coming up with the, the cartoon. So when they finished the cartoon, they had a great uh, duck call, but they didn't really have any ducks. So like, well, we'll just we'll just throw quacks <laughs> just in. Just put it in a fucking frog. <laughs> it's just assumed that there were ducks elsewhere off screen. Well, they apparently also... <laughs> They also couldn't get, like, the sound of water because he, he gets thrown into the water later and it makes the sound of breaking glass. I actually love that. <laughs> I think that sounds... I think that's that, that kind of synesthesia really works for me for... Um, specifically for hit points, as um, our friend Wendell from Sideshow Sound Theater was talking about, you know, these actions that accompany um, musical cues. So mm-hmm. him b- bouncing on lily pads to harp music, him breaking the water surface with breaking glass i i love all of those little punctuation beats yeah and it was only one year ago where they first experimented with sound uh 
it was to make Steamboat Willie. And right. one of the first few animations was three steam stacks, small, middle, and large, each one putting up a puff of smoke. And yeah. they experimented with every possible combination of sounds in order to figure out what three sounds accompanying these three puffs of smoke would be the funniest. And they found that if it started off at a regular pitch and then it got deeper as as you went to the middle one you assume the top one's going to be the deepest still but then they mm-hmm. switch it on you and that becomes the 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 highest pitched one instead of the deepest one so that elicits a laugh because you were expecting something and then there's a switch and that's kind of nice. a really good moment of that later when uh, flip is going up the tightrope but I, I'll, I'll get to that in a, in a little bit um, the thing that precedes him from going into the water is he he dances on a turtle's back and the turtle um, <laughs> some mechanical raising platform to toss the frog off his yeah, back. He which ejects. I, he ejects his love. back. This steampunk turtle. I don't know why he's not in every Disney thing since then. Yeah, he's the star. Well, not Disney, but yeah. Um, it, it's that visual surrealism. Like I don't know if Oob made the joke or if he was just like drawing on material that he'd done on previous occasions. But it, I love that. Yeah, I like the idea that he was almost on autopilot. Like, like we need to move Flip over here. Uh, uh, some sort of spring uh-huh. or something. Uh, we we have a turtle drawing. Okay, put it in a turtle. Yeah, put it in the turtle. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he he the Flip continues dancing while drying himself off. His creepy smile at this point is really getting to me. <laughs> oh, the weird thing to me was when he walks on all fours because. First off, he's built to be bipedal. We've been seeing him walk around like a dude. And then when you go down on all fours like a real frog, they don't they don't walk like dogs. They they jump around. And so this is just like a weird like eldritch thing coming out of the shadows type movement. Yes, oh, he definitely God. has yeah, the th- Innsbruck he's... look. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Shadow overflip. <laughs> yeah, he's he looks gaunt like a I don't know. He he definitely there's there's bits of flip that just look like an insane animatronic horror nightmare from Five Nights at Freddy's, and that's that's definitely one of those I'm situations. I'm just making a connection I never made a connection with before. My dad, growing up, had this H.P. Lovecraft book with one of those those like monsters coming out of the the shadows and the and the the fog and the the low tide, and it looks exactly uh-huh. like Flip the Frog. and i was so scared of it growing up and where the town i grew up in was marblehead massachusetts which is a town next to salem and salem is basically arkham yeah oh yeah i so my dad explained uh, our older brother lives there now oh oh wow so yeah i actually went there for halloween one time if you can believe that yeah he praises uh he worships azathoth if i recall correctly he's more of a nyar lotathup man now you know i I think (laughs) I think that craze has passed. Well, my dad comforted me by uh, seeing how scary the book was, saying, don't worry, that's at least 10 miles away. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. <laughs> but man, if you had these flip legs, you could get there at like that. <laughs> Especially with the bounding that flip does. Gravity doesn't seem it's... to care that much about this particular swamp. It's, no. it's, he's pretty creepy looking, <laughs> to be honest. And then he like goes with the with the... With the smiling and the chattering teeth, and that that happens in a little bit, oh. and it's like, oh, that's just Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> um, so he's on his way to the social club, this sort of outdoor gala where the insects and the vermin are drinking and dancing and playing. Yeah, it's like a hootenanny. Uh, what was your favorite like dancing insect or, or animal? Um, 
my favorite one let me let me go look at it real quick I I liked uh, I think it's a ladybug and it's playing the saxophone and every single beat it inflates or deflates its entire body. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of good. <laughs> There's a creepy skunk with an eye that is just absolutely not going the right direction in the corner of the screen that is I don't know, it looks like it's trying not to draw focus but I can't help but notice how creepy it looks. <laughs> I like the uh, the cellist there is a beetle that's that's acting as a cellist, and it pulls back oh, like it, it's pulling back a six foot longbow, and then yeah. going going forward all the way like it's like cutting someone's head off, and then goes draws back and forward and back and forward. <laughs> like I didn't know a cellist. Like they was reuse so it athletic. for a lumberjack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, and that that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of animation beat that you could actually see being used in like a, a different cartoon that he had worked on where they're in a barnyard setting and maybe they are sawing logs. It's probably the exact same motion that he has down. Again, with just knowing those three-quarter poses, that is enough. And recycling know? animation was another trick that Oob had up his sleeve. And nowadays yeah. it seems like, oh, that's really cheap. You animated this already and then you, you copied it six months later. But back then it was not possible to simply take a bit of film and pull the animation from it. You needed to, have, right. when you were making it that day, save it and save the originals. And so mm-hmm. that's what he did. He had a bank of the saved animation so he could pull in and, and use over again. <laughs> people are yeah. accusing him of being a hoarder and he's like it was the depression you don't know <laughs> uh, it, there's a uh, th- so i really love this shot of all the different uh you know insects kind of kind of playing around and, and making music and things mm-hmm. like that there's so much going on and it reminded me of a part in the book where you say the nature that the nature of the business at the time was that an audience would watch the same cartoon for weeks Yes, and so weeks, if it not months. needed to have a lot of detail for rewatch value. Yes, and you couldn't put it in the whole cartoon because you're basically putting in five times as much animation. So you'd you'd yeah. have one opening shot that was just chock a block with lots of different things, all moving in different sequences. So that when you finish watching one, you go to watch another one, you don't see the beginning of the mm-hmm. sequence. You were stuck in the middle, so you need to to wait until the the meme reloads and by the time you've seen two or three of them you've missed the other five it's like oh i gotta go back the next day and see this thing again yeah Mm -hmm. and and they also you know they they also managed to give the these characters more things to do and more interest by zooming in so we see the orchestra uh in full and then we see each individual instrumentalist kind of doing their own thing and it's like oh yeah the spider would be good at the drums i get it now one thing yeah, he's got enough uh got enough arms for it. He kind of looks like a like a like like one of many several black characters that would find its way into Disney stuff early on. But uh beyond that, one thing we didn't mention uh is Flip does a lot of walking in order to get to this this outside uh mm-hmm. festival. <laughs> and the the background just keeps on going and going and going. And Oh, it's Flintstones. But it's not Flintstones because it doesn't repeat. It's an original background that goes on for something like 35 feet. Are what? you serious? <laughs> so they I just drew the whole thing? that it must have repeated. No, no. What, what Oob did was he bought shelf paper and he made a background drawing on shelf paper and then he oh. moved the shelf paper. Because normally your background can only big, be as big as like twice the size of, of uh, the animation uh, window itself but he he found a way of making the background scroll on forever but it's such a subtle effect that you're not aware of it that's amazing 
yeah, I, I had I had no idea. I just assumed that it was Flintstone stuff. That's really yeah, impressive. Yeah, it 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 was original. And and again, nowadays you wouldn't necessarily pay that much attention to it because you assume, oh, well, that's just a trick that they've they've learned. But this was the first time that trick was used, I believe. I I've stopped paying attention to backgrounds at all unless there's like funny pun name stores. Yeah. Yeah, and and part of it's like it wasn't even the point wasn't really even to sell to audiences. The point a little bit it felt felt like to Oob was to do it for him, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like to 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 do it because he could because but, this was like an animation high point that he could do, and he wanted to produce the best like that craftsman quality. Yeah, like they're on the thirty first season of The Simpsons. I'm sure they have plenty of shots of the couch so that they can just walk in a room and see the couch. They don't need to redraw it from scratch, but they keep doing it, partly because they find new angles and partly because they don't want to be the the guys that just recycle stuff from season twenty seven into season thirty one. Hmm. Yeah, and and a little bit because of that guy who just really loves couches. <laughs> yeah, we you know, he's on staff but we don't talk to him. No. <laughs> um the yeah. I, I I appreciate uh Oob's technical work, but I will say that I think it starts here and it gets really bad during the uh flip versus Mickey kinda uh playing. Uh the syncing is not quite right and it's very distracting. Yeah. I, I think that might just be the YouTube thing, maybe. I wasn't sure. I didn't want to accuse it, but I it's prevalent enough and I couldn't find any other copy of it that, that did it better. I assumed it was the YouTube thing just because they they, they made a point of making sure the syncing was good at in like the days when he still worked for um, still worked for Disney like that. That was the critical factor in whether or not it would succeed or fail was whether the music and the visuals would sync up well. But syncing was was difficult because what you were listening to is basically a, a one track take where all yeah, everyone it's a, it's crowds around track. probably one microphone and and one by one they all start playing their instruments and hitting all of their their musical cues and their sound gags. That's so wild. Uh, I in particular like the part where the so so when they they have the entire band that the one bug is conducting. And then they start breaking it down into little chunks of, you know, the, the spider playing the drums. I, in particular, like the two bugs on the violin where the big one draws the bow back and the little one comes down it and then plucks it at the end. Yeah. <laughs> That's real good. Yeah, so much of being a writer in animation then was coming up with gags about animals playing instruments. If you could do that, Right, and, and it followed the music. Um, so then, uh, Flip, he is our main performer. He's he, welcomed like royalty by a doorman who is a penguin, and that was confusing. Uh, you got to work your way up. He's clearly new in town. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm not from around here. Yeah, I'm gonna First have to. Sell it. I'm gonna have to wait tables for a while until someone takes my screenplay. Yeah, he does a deep bow and Flip just trips over him. So like, we get a little bit of characterization. Like, oh, okay, he flips like either a goofball or a klutz. But yeah, it's it's different from like sort of thing. from shot to shot. So if he was always clumsy, it'd be one thing. If he was always super silly, it'd be another. But it's just depending upon the animator. Because this is, like, that shot of Flip is way off register. That is not what Flip looked like in the previous or or, or subsequent <laughs> shots. He The eyes yeah. are just too weird. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, he doesn't look not weird in other shots, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Oh, it's like googly eyes. Yeah, that that's that's jarring. Um, so we I, I like the little dust cloud that comes out when he when he face plants though. That's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so then we get his first dance. It's uh, sort of a Carmen-like number. Uh, he does yeah, the like castanets with his hands. Uh, it's, it's like a somber or um, a flamenco or something like that. And then it turns and, into uh, a duet. He pulls well, up a he, ladybug. He, yeah, he spanks oh, yeah, the he ladybug. He starts spanking a ladybug. <laughs> Quacks proudly. <laughs> like, look what yeah. I did. And this is the standard Disney work stuff of uh, abusing... Uh, abusing animals just for fun and profit and then we get the the nightmare teeth then we get the then we get the five nights of freddy stuff i'm talking about yeah, yeah. let me i'm gonna go we, we need to focus to on these teeth for a minute a second <laughs> gotta talk about these All teeth right and oh yeah <laughs> that's just terrible all right i'm gonna screenshot that out and it'll be our episode terrifying. what have you wrought now. What's great is you close your eyes and you still see it. When you go to bed at night, you'll still see it. <laughs> oh, man. The and he clacks him in time with the die. music. <laughs> he, he, uh, he clacks him in time with the music in a way that I've, like, I've definitely done that, but generally I know to avoid doing that in front of crowds. Yeah, it's certainly you don't make it the, the centerpiece of the, of the attraction. <laughs> oh, yeah. Stop. That's just terrible then put it away <laughs> anyway he continues on doing his little, little merry frog jig at that point uh yeah so this is a turkey in the straw segment they uh yeah so this is where they do the where he does the little shimmy up a string to accompany the uh the sailor's hornpipe right i think is the i think that is the the name for that uh little thing little slide whistle the uh well hang on a sec let me let, let me play it again just so i have it that thing. Oh yeah. Um, and he starts climbing with the arpeggio kind of going down. We're like, you see the the music kind of going down while he's climbing up, and then the spider at the top kind of gives him the business, and he slides down again when the music starts going back up. Which I, that's that kind of ironic music visual uh, duality that I that I really appreciate. Yeah, he just can't catch a break. <laughs> Now, a lot of these things were written from the music first, so they would listen to that bit of music, and then they're trying to come up with a gag that worked for, like, you know, six seconds going up and then four seconds going down. So they'd come mm -hmm. up with the idea of going up and seeing a spider and then going back down because it aligned with the music. Yeah, and I just really like how it kind of is ironic with what the music is doing being exact opposite of what Flip happens to be doing. Wait, so are you saying that they picked the music out first and then did the gags? Because yes. it seemed like they just jumped around so often that I was like, they're, they're not playing anything for more than a few seconds at a time. Uh, when they made uh, the Silly Symphonies at Disney, that was the first time where they truly went with the music video idea of, we're going to get a, get a bunch of music, we're going to lock that down, and once that's locked, then we're going to come up with visuals to go along with it. Huh. Ooh, we'll take care of the animation. He can do it. <laughs> he he's the biggest name in town. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was also there's also an, an, a notion of just um, you really had to just know the public domain well enough to be able to use the music that would both be recognizable to people and also w they you wouldn't have to pay for. So you kind of had a limited number of tracks that you knew could go in a thing, which I yeah. imagine helped kind of limit what your song was going to be. You want something they're going to hum on the way out of the theater. 
Right. And where Merry Melodies and Looney Tunes got their start was that Warner Brothers had a bunch of music uh, that wasn't public domain, but was Warner Brothers music. So all of these cartoons were made to advertise the songs. Uh. Yeah, that that's... Hmm. Nice bit of cross-promotion. I, I saw um, there was one track later on that's the... The more we get together, together, together. And I, I went and like looked it up, and I'm like, oh, this goes back... It's It used to be a, a Viennese song, Ode du Lieber Augustin, which is from, like, ni- from 1679. Oh, I only recognized it as Hail to the Bus Driver. <laughs> I, I also <laughs> only recognized it as Hail to the Bus Driver. <laughs> I tried looking at it, like, what is this based on? And it's just more Simpsons clips. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yes, hail to the bus driver, bus driver man. <laughs> yeah, this is this is for the main act when Flip is uh, he plays piano and is joined by a familiar face with a violin. The familiar face being, um, I guess we should call him Mortimer because that's normally the accepted name for off-brand Mickey Mouse. I mean, we should we should call him Walt. We should call him what he is. He's Walt Disney. Okay. We got Walt Disney. <laughs> yeah, here. that that works. Misshapen yeah. <laughs> Innsmouth Walt Disney. Uh-huh. Uh, I do want to point out that there's a point right before um, right before we we get into the duet where it pans away to a, another kind of packed shot of a bunch of stuff going on, where the audience is kind of uh, an audience of animals is begging for an encore. Yeah, they're going crazy. And I, I think we get another one of those weird sound effects that probably they wanted a whistle, but what came across was a, like a kazoo type thing, and it's just because it was easy to put in the put in the track. But it you know a crow is whistling, and that is not a whistle sound effect. And that's, <laughs> yeah, and there's you know. like like fourteen characters on screen. You can only hear one of them going kazoo kazoo. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that that does lead into the uh, the piano duet, which, I mean, it's 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 just straight Opry House, right? It's telling their story. Yeah. They're they're playing great together, and then all of a sudden, Flip is just too fascinated by the workings of the piano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he gets a little caught up in the tech. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, and poor Walt is there in his in his red squirt. <laughs> yeah, his jorts. <laughs> <laughs> uh and yeah so he whacks him over the head with the violin into the piano yeah that feels dangerous but you know you know kids it, don't it, try this at home you know superman right. jumping off the off the roof kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh yeah and so this was the big middle finger to walt it, it seemed like was you know i'm just trying to play i'm just trying to have you know have my character do what he wants to do why do you have to kind of be such a taskmaster about it like it i, I don't know is that, that that's kind of the big point of frustration right yeah and and then uh the bird comes in to start dripping chewing tobacco and that yeah. i don't have an al- analog for i believe well symbolizing life's just shitting on him out of nowhere <laughs> just in general <laughs> just like i got this i got this black crud coming onto my art for no reason i don't know maybe it could have been like the other higher ups that they were kind of under the thumb of in those early years mm. um you know they, they wanted to create the cartoons that they wanted to create and restrictions from other parts of the business maybe it was roy i don't know old russian proverb someday you statue someday you pigeon 
Someday you piano. Russian proverb. Someday you mouse. I would have believed it. Um, so the next number is a little lighter and more relaxed than what I would expect for a song that brings the piano to life. <laughs> yeah, and that that's the Opry House thing again. It's just like piano being brought to life as part of the piano song is that's just classic kind of Disney comedy stuff. Yes, and this is not even a year old, so uh, so much of this is coming from Opry House that it does feel a little derivative. Like you, oh, it absolutely, yeah, is you derivative. shouldn't necessarily be copying what you just left your is, your former is it employer. Plagiarism? For. If you are copying yourself, <laughs> I have no idea. It was the depression. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> Well, um, the cartoons were made to be uh, disposable. No one thought that a cartoon from six months ago would even still be around because it would just get too ratty. I mm-hmm. There were some old, oh. old shorts from like 1910s or so where if someone requested a new copy, they would simply get the actors and re-film it. <laughs> that, what, what a time the past was. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, I guess the, what a time the future will be. <laughs> we truly are living in the present. It would be like asking for banana muffins. Oh, I'm out of banana muffins, but, uh, you know, give me an hour. I'll make some more. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very accommodating, actors um, back then. I, I would like to mention the way the piano moves. So it's, you know, it's bopping around. The legs are fine. It, it jumps around like everybody else. It's, I think it's kind of doing some of that squeeze stretch things that we'd later see with like Fleischer Brother Classic, where you know it it is it is smushing down to give the impression of getting hit with a, uh, you know, with with uh with these with these frog arms. Well, yeah. I couldn't focus on that because it's got these long boneless arms ending in pointed claws, like it's just like gesticulating yeah. <laughs> toward and away from its key mouth, like come into my mouth, children. <laughs> yeah, it's like in Mario sixty four at that point. Yeah, so haunted. Yeah, there's some things that just shouldn't shouldn't uh, get the should p- not be. pathetic fallacy, because like <laughs> a man can come into life. Okay, I can see that a piano coming to life. Wait, where's okay? So we have a, a mouth, but where are the eyes? What? <laughs> how indeed. does what does this thing do to live? This is haunting. It's got eyes on the inside. Naughty <laughs> um, children, obviously. And they thankfully um, return to stillness. We don't have to deal with them being alive forever. Yeah, and, and and that's you know that's that that's the point at which uh, all of them start crying as the music gets uh, pretty maudlin. Yeah, not Mickey is so overcome with emotion at his own playing, which I feel like is also a dig. <laughs> it's like, something like he went through a, like a nervous breakdown among uh, like when Oob left. Maybe not exactly because of that, but it must have been a contributing factor. Like they had to go, they had to go vacation after that to get his to get his karma right. Yeah, for, yeah. How, for how much did that breakup affect affect Disney? For uh, for the better part of a year, Walt was in a funk and uh, Just inconsolable. Yeah. Then they were able to hire new animators who uh, who were able to stand on Oob's shoulders, even though he wasn't there. And bit by bit, they got rid of everything that Oob had contributed to the company, mostly mm-hmm. by by advancing it. But at a certain point, it was no longer the the company that Oob worked at because everything he had touched had had been replaced or upgraded huh what's that walt that uh that old coat stand reminds you oob oh well we'll get you a better one you you won't even notice it (laughs) you won't miss it at all yeah that's interesting and it it really kind of goes to show you that the creative power that was indispensable was walt's uh, it was walt and his you know showmanship and his kind of vision 
and that Oob, as talented as he was, was just a animator, and there were plenty of animators. Yeah, the capacity for reinvention. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the vision part of it. It you know uh, it later would like Oob was a bit more um, fastidious in his his finances and wouldn't. To, to quote your book again, didn't have a Walt's attitude of jumping off a high diving board, unsure if the, there was water in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of Oob was definitely a genius, but he was a genius that we have like uh, an easy slot to to put him into. He was a mechanical genius. He was an inventor genius. He was uh, creatively he had some some really great ideas, but he wasn't yeah, a he storytelling wasn't like an genius innovator. Right. Yeah. Do you ever in the book make the Edison-Tesla comparison? I think about that all the time. Uh, I wanted to make the Steve Jobs-Steve Wozniak comparison, but I was mm. trying to keep the, keep the story in the 1930s, and they weren't around back then. But it's closer we to... think. <laughs> it's closer to, uh, to Bob Kane and Bill Finger, the two creators of oh, yeah. Batman. Batman. Yeah. Yeah, where the more oh, I don't actually know anything about that. The more you read about Bob Kane, the more you start like fuming with anger that that a man like this actually existed. <laughs> <laughs> he hired people to draw all of his art. Can we quote you it. on that sometime? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like okay, so like the, those turns of phrases that show up in your book, you've just said in whole cloth to like at random. Like it wasn't an industriously con- constructed sentence. That's just how you think. And and here's a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, every year we take clips of like great sentences that have come up on the podcast, oh, yeah, and we just put them into in. a super cup, a super cut. So we'll probably put that in. I was just saying that as preamble to get to uh, the actual Bob Kane nugget I wanted to pass on, which Ooh. was that oh, please, after after he interrupt. retired, he said he was just going to uh, to paint clowns, <laughs> and he outsourced it. <laughs> He wasn't painting <laughs> clowns. He hired someone to paint clowns and then sign his name to it. Is, I, is that a euphemism? Does I can't that mean wait he was, to like, just sleeping with his his employees like uh, <laughs> like wives or something. And then he was too lazy and got somebody else to do it. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'll like, have you sleep with your wife. Actual sad depression oh, clowns credit. eating like cans of beans from uh from like a hobo stand. Oh, he's that Mulligan guy. Tommy. Yeah. But he hired someone to paint clowns like that. That's the person he wanted to be, and he would just hire someone to do all this work and take credit for it. God, that's... Yeah, I can see what you mean by, like, angry that this person existed. Um, back to uh, Mickey the Violinist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so they're, they're both crying. I, I sort of see this bit as, you know, him admitting that it the friendship also meant a lot to him, and that you know, he he realized that 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 what they had at uh, Disney was was something special that he's kind of trying to say goodbye to. I don't know. That was just my read on it. No, I I think that too. Uh, I give a a talk about this this book at libraries, and I play this clip over and over again. So I've watched it a whole lot, and it it always yeah. struck me that it's not just two people at blows. It's two people that were making beautiful music together, and then one of them does a solo, and the other one doesn't like the fact that the first one is trying to go solo. Yep. I, I see the metaphor there, but it also feels a little bit inversion of what their dynamic was. You know, it, it always se- seemed to me that Walt was kind of the dreamer who would follow his impulses and that Oob would kind of be more of the nose to the grindstone, follow, grindstone, follow the formula kind of guy. And that's not, that's the opposite how Flip and, uh, 
and uh, I don't mm. know more Morticia the mouse <laughs> kind of uh, kind of operate. Yeah, you can definitely see Walt coming up with a great idea, and then ooh behind him, like two steps behind him, and like six inches shorter, saying, "You got it, boss. We can do that." But uh, yeah. this is not the cartoon that shows that. This is the cartoon showing the "You got it, boss" guy what his hopes and dreams are. Yeah, yeah, it's the one that's focusing you through uh, for, through Oob's perspective, I suppose. So, what do you think of the sound effect that they chose for the crying, which sounds like a faraway child screaming "Mama," but not quite getting it right? Yeah, it's it's pretty rough. I don't know what kind of instrument made it, like a devil I hate it. or something. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah, these old cartoons are great ways to, to hear some terrible, terrible sound effects and try to figure <laughs> out what they were supposed to be and how they were made. Yeah, and it's it's weird because the visuals, they get so good. Like, the violin becomes so waterlogged by tears that he has to wring it out like a towel. Oh, that's so good. Like, it was just so much further ahead than, the, than this proto-foley. Yeah, I wonder. I, I, I particularly. I wonder yeah, if, if we listen to radio plays of the day, if that would sound familiar. If it'd be like, oh yeah, that's that's standard. We hear that in in nope. every Fibber McKee and Molly cartoon. The 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 radio plays were great. I think just that's where the people who were good at it did the work. And so when you they're like, what do you you want me to go ditch my job as a foley guy to go do sound for a an exclusively visual medium? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It it is a little bit. It's pretty janky. I I do agree that the animation feels real good though. Um, I particularly liked when uh when the mouse hit flip over the head with the with the with the violin. Like all of the all the sense of impact and like the violence cloud of stars and stuff coming out of his head looked real good. And you know, uh, Flip will like sheepishly look to the mouse like, "Oh, sorry, I went off key." With that nice smile and that you little. You got it, boss. The little you got it boss lines coming out of his head to to establish his obsequiousness. There, yeah. One thing that always kind of bugs me, and I don't know if it's just the the bad copy on YouTube or if this was. It's probably true of the original. Everything is kind of beige. There's no white because I guess there's two different colored strips that are put on top of each yeah. other. So the there's no white. It's all kind of saturated and very light brown, very yeah. tea. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely an extension of the two color uh, Technicolor. That's what it seemed like to me. Like if if you were going to make things in ter- in terms of browns, then uh, maybe just white also kind of has a shade of. I don't know how that the technology actually works, but I kind of chalked it up to well, that. Well, you know, listener at home, you can do your own experiment. Go find your nearest RPG and go to the hair color settings and just turn turn blue all the way to the bottom, and then play around <laughs> with red and green and see what you can do. You get red, yeah, green, and brown. <laughs> yeah, now you got your brown out. Um, to, to, to continue onward, uh, the music now turns lighthearted. After, oh, well, I'm sorry, there was first, one more part. The first, piano Flip blowing and his its piano start tearing up. That's <laughs> right. The piano blowing its nose is a nice visual, and I really wanted some random key jangle for a sound effect. <laughs> no, you get a boat horn. Yeah, I, but <laughs> like, it seems so obvious to just have like the tinkling of keys, like without any kind of rhythm to them. But again, it's got to be done in one take. You don't just have a spare piano to experiment with on, on 
on standby, so you just do the boat horn noise. And they've only been making sound cartoons like this for one year. That, in five years' time, I bet they would have put that in because they would have uh, learned or seen or just realized, oh, we could have done a great job with that because a piano, when it's blowing its nose, isn't going to have a regular sound. We'd have a piano-specific yeah. sound to blowing your nose. Yeah, the, every... I'm reminded of the point in... Um, I, I'm reminded in the Popeye cartoons that they actually would be able to incorporate the random sound effects of pianos hitting the ground, piano keys hitting the ground, um, as well as making them in time with the music. Yeah, and, and every criticism or confusing point that we have here, we, we have to remember that we are grading on the tallest of Most curves. Most generous curves. <laughs> yeah, because this is... Some real, is, some real Butch Hartman curves is what is we're grading groundbreaking. <laughs> yeah. Now, this was the only cartoon that Flip was in that was in color because color was super expensive to make. And this was supposed yeah. to be the, the, the big draw. And once the big draw came in, then Flip went back to black and white. And that was much easier yeah. to animate and much cheaper. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't worth the added effort at that point. I'm not convinced that the the addition of color was anywhere near as groundbreaking as the addition of sound. Like sound is, is the skeleton of these early cartoons and the, the color part of it is, is sort of just more gimmicky. Yeah. Especially like, with I, I just the two it, color. It doesn't add anything that's not already there. It like made enhance some scenes, but you can get by with a black and white. Yes. Now you can compare this to a few years down the road with a Disney cartoon called Flowers and Trees, which was their first attempt going into yeah. three strip Technicolor. And it is, it is night and day when, when it comes to, oh, wow, this is how color is supposed to look. So there's different hues of the same color. You can use it to convey depth and say which characters are in the foreground and which are in the background. Mm. And it's about trees, and they have like 18 different browns that are moving around at the same time. It looks amazing. I, I'm going to have to check that one out. I, I kind of only looked up this and Opry House for a point of comparison. No, those are those are the... If you had to pick two, those are the, the two perfect ones to pick. Because Opry House has been mm -hmm. cannibalized over and over again by Disney and by everyone else. <laughs> if you haven't oh, seen yeah. Opry House, but you've seen a cartoon with someone playing a piano angrily... Where the piano plays back, yeah. Yeah, that's Opry House. Yep. Uh, but yeah, then then the music takes a bit more lighthearted uh, turn as the frogs suddenly feels Flip suddenly feels an unbearable urge to make amorous advances toward his piano. <laughs> as just one does. Stroking. Yeah. What is that? Smacking it, just like this is this is mine. This is yeah. <laughs> play for daddy. Sky, like you belong here, baby. Yeah, you're um, you're gonna go you're gonna go far in this town if you stick with me. You stick with me, <laughs> oh! But then they can't. Yeah, the piano. They can't end yeah. it without having Flip also being in an abusive relationship with his piano. Yeah, because the piano kicks him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, he the, the piano rightly understands that its personal space was violated, so uh, it kicks him off. the The frog does not take it well. No, he balls up his fists and he starts smacking them on on the keys, which of course, in a, a good gag, actually plays good music and i can yeah. see what you mean about the prevalence of fight scenes in these because the way that his arms move to punch actually i think is one of the best like animation that windmill thing yeah that yeah. that's really good the windmilling of the arms looks very good on this frog um and it <laughs> it's again ripped straight from opry house exact motions exact verbiage punching a piano to get music out of it to uh i think it's the can can yeah yeah 
and then uh, it, it finishes with him kicking the piano and that makes the keys just like shoot out from it and then he's like ha I win I take a bow and then they just collapse on top of him another good moment for piano tinkling noises that I did not get yeah that's that's how uh, some of the early Mickey Mouse cartoons would end with Mickey having an act of violence and turning over saying, see, no comeuppance. And then the comeuppance <laughs> happens in the very last seconds. So like, oh, mm-hmm. comeuppance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, comeuppance. Who could have predicted this? <laughs> Curse your ironic but inevitable betrayal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so much of this final bit so pales, I mean, I'm sorry to keep on bringing it up, pales in comparison to Opry House and is probably a large part of why, uh, like, we're, we're, I'm just talking about it again, but just the soulless kind of quantity of this of this character. It's just, you know, he, he just, just lifeless marionette being pulled by strings, whereas Mickey felt like he was an actual agent trying to get the piano to do what he wanted and it was wasn't just it wasn't just like it felt like someone scripted this frog to love his piano you know yeah Mm -hmm. yeah there was nowhere you could go with flip because flip isn't a character with with agency and and his own likes and dislikes the next cartoon he's uh it's it's a very good cartoon but he's in a boxing match and then the next cartoon i think he's a barber so they they put this character into different jobs but the character himself would change like when when he started I, to talk, yeah. sometimes he'd have a deep voice. Sometimes he'd have a deep voice, and it would. Yeah. It, there was nothing you could say. Oh, this is why I like Flip, other than the fact that he's a frog. I think I've seen that boxing thing referenced in um, Cuphead. Oh yeah, you the guys. Frog boxing. Oh, you guys how did we Cuphead? get this far without talking about Cuphead? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is late for any episode. <laughs> Cuphead very heavily draws from the animation of Ooh Iwerks. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and of the Fleischer Brothers. It I mean like that is just a fu- uh, just a fun moment road, road down memory lane as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's like someone played Epic Mickey and was like, "You know what? We could do this for an even more obscure character. We can just make up <laughs> characters." I don't know what do I see around. I see uh I see a cup. Done. Done. Okay, I got my character. Good enough. <laughs> you got star power, baby. <laughs> can, can I ask you how like I mean we, we kind of veered away from the modern incarnations of Mickey, but do you think they've done him justice? The the new ones, the Flash-style animation, I think are wonderful. And yeah? part of the reasons that they're wonderful is that they've allowed Mickey to get angry and to have emotions and to have wants. Mm-hmm. And for decades and decades, people trying to come yeah. up with Mickey cartoons were told, you can't do that. Mickey has, He's this, so boring. has this very narrow emotional range, and he can't ever get out of that box. And you can't... You can't put a character in a scenario where he needs to, to, you know, to struggle to get out of it. You can't have a conflict if the character can't conflict with anyone. Right. Yeah. I, that that was the main problem I had with uh, House of Mouse was that just Mickey had no, uh, there was just nothing interesting about him anymore. I feel like I've just seen him for decades. Yeah. Now, when you're four years old, that character is great because he's Good he's friendly. But when you're nine yeah. or ten... He's a sweet boy. Yeah. <laughs> when you're nine or ten, you want an actual personality. You want a bunch of different personalities interacting together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, that's Fiddlesticks. It's, yeah. 
this this was uh this was a real interesting thing to go over i'm I'm interested how uh how you feel about it having talked about it with two newcomers this this was great. We really went through it with a fine tooth comb. I can only <laughs> imagine if you're doing like a Darkwing Duck episode that it's, it's like you've gone through each episode with the same tenacity <laughs> and the podcasts are like 72 hours each. You're not you're not as wrong as you might think. Darkwing Duck, we yeah. mu- that might be the only episode we might have to just completely re-record because yeah, I, I just actually to do just it feel terrible for not having done it justice because it's got one of my favorite cartoons uh, for, for one of my favorite car- characters of all time, and of course I'm talking about Megavolt. No, um, the uh, the thing about it, so we kind of have two types of car- of a uh, episode. One is where we go through just a cartoon and get general impressions and bring little memories along the way but it's not this fine tooth comb approach that we've done today that's our that's the um that that's that's sort of our our bootlegged segment where we go through a movie fives. Yeah. and do a do a, a fine tooth comb but be, because this was seven minutes or six minutes as opposed to like an hour and a half our two our our comb could be so much finer oh we squeeze the blood out of this thing <laughs> yes yeah. yeah there's not that much to talk about that we have not talked about I am noticing mm-hmm. in the final I mean, final frame that Oob is in quotes by Oob Iwerks, like it's a nickname instead of his actual yeah. name. Oh, I yeah. thought it was shortening from like U B B E, which I remember seeing somewhere. Yes, uh, it, that's what it was. Yes, his but name he, he was U B B E, and I guess briefly he decided to to go by Oob as a nickname instead of Oob as a first name. But it'd be like if huh. your name was Robert and you went as Rob, and like you put Rob in quotes, like <laughs> so. I'm, just a little yes. backstory here. Rob's not my full name. I'll give you my full name a little later, but it's it's similar yeah. <laughs> to Rob. Just teasing. If it. you play your if you play your cards right, you could meet the you could meet my real name, <laughs> the full Robert. The full Robert, yes. Exclusive at Subway. Um, but um, yeah, if... Um, yeah, well, we, we really appreciate you coming on for this one. And if you are interested in ever doing, like, a regular just cartoon TV show, you're, you're of course, welcome back. Oh, that, absolutely. that'd be great. When you guys said you guys did uh, old cartoons, I was thinking, ooh, is 1930, is that old enough for you guys? <laughs> but, oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah we, we really should have... We really should have uh, made made that a little clearer, you know, timestamp ourselves to. Yeah, I think the 80s is where I like to exist. The 90s is more Zane's territory and then uh everything else we're we're coming to as guests. We've done some more recent stuff as well. It's really just, you know, what what requires you to look at it at two points in your life to get a different impression. Okay. Mm-hmm. Have you done the animated segment from the Star Wars holiday special yet? <laughs> we have not. We have and done we Star will Trek not. the animated series. Okay, okay, that's that's pretty close. And we have done Clone Wars recently. Have you seen the Star Wars holiday special? The animation is oh, the only probably good part one drunken night. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> yeah. I will I, not. I, I'm okay. <laughs> I must you. not. I like the very casual drawing a line in the sand. My life is better without <laughs> this thing. <laughs> it, it, thou shalt not. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. it's as close to a personal code as I have. It's it's one of those rules that you need to follow, otherwise that uh, that Innsmouth frog will get you. <laughs> it, it'll it'll know. Um, yeah. So Jeff, d- uh, d- is there anything else about fiddlesticks or about this uh, or about this, your books? Uh, this kind of big story, th- this this whole Ub and Walt story that you'd like to mention before we start wrapping up? 
Uh, I guess I can mention that the paperback of A Mouse Divided is going to be coming back in July, so you can get it for cheaper than the hardcover, but you won't be able to hit it with nails as easily. I was actually going to ask uh, on, on the way out if you wanted to plug anything, but now is fine as well. <laughs> um, what? Uh, where can people find you? Do you have a media presence? Do you have... Uh... Just Google Jeff Ryan that you'd like to. Yeah, just Google Jeff Ryan. Yeah, I don't know why I'm making it so hard. <laughs> Jeff yeah. Ryan, author, and then go to the uh, fourth O, and that's where you'll find me. <laughs> uh, my website is a mousedivided.com. I don't yet have one just for myself. I make one for each one of the the books that I'm writing, uh, and I'm mm-hmm. on Twitter at Jeff underscore underscore Ryan. Jeff <laughs> underscore Ryan was taken, so I needed to double up on the underscores. The double under, yeah. Cool. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on our humble podcast. It was I was intimidated, but I am very happy to meet somebody who uh, is is as enamored with this kind of animation history as we are, albeit in a very different way. This was a real fun touchstone to have, and a and a delight to kind of talk to somebody else with a with a very different perspective on this stuff. Oh, this mm-hmm. this was great. I've spent so much time talking about Walt and about Mickey and about Oob that it's great to talk about Flip for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I feel like we turn. meandered a lot, but yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is this is maybe the longest anyone has ever talked about Flip the Frog. Yeah, he's a. I mean, he's a real soulless chuckle fuck. Anyway, um, so Zane, uh, we're, we're going to close up our own shop now. <laughs> <laughs> so Zane, uh, what are we doing next time? Well, next episode we're going to have our uh, recurring guest Josh back on to talk about the show Fillmore. That's right. It's early two thousands. I still haven't looked up anything about it, so hopefully no. How it doesn't it require be? too much analysis. Yeah, is that a spinoff um, of George Carlin's character from Cars? Great question. No idea. Okay. <laughs> that will be our first question uh, for the guest. Yeah. Well, you, know, if, uh, you, you can go ahead and write in that question in our comment section if you want us to ask it on the air. But. Um, and then, Ben, what about after that? So uh, after that, um, you know, we've, we've learned a lot today, but it, one must always remember that knowing is only half the battle. Um, and so we are going to take a look at G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero from 1985. Pork chop sandwiches. Yeah, I'm sure that's good. You know that we, it's impossible to get away from. I'm hoping that we can briefly discuss its internet love, mm, but body massage. <laughs> mm, no, Mr. Body Massage Machine. Uh, yeah, we'll, 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 I'm sure we'll get into that, and I'm I'm hoping there will be something else there. But if there's not, you know, I'm sure we'll have enough material with that alone. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's got a long and storied history. Uh, let's let's put on a, a challenge to see how obscure how of a GI Joe thing we can find. Yeah, maybe we can put on a challenge episode to like not talk about that at all, and and just be shocked when people call us out on it. <laughs> Wait, what are you talking about, GI Joe memes? I have no concept of this. Um, <laughs> anyway. If you like listening to the show, um, please go ahead and go to Cartoncast at, uh, on our Facebook page. You can go to our website at www.cartoncast.com or our group website, fancybat.com, which has uh, a number of other shows in the network, such as Empowered, which uh, Jeff was kind enough to also feature on recently. Um, so you can listen to him there. Um, once again, uh, you can go to amousedivided.com, it seems like. Did I get that right? Yep, that's it. Um, if you want to check out uh, Jeff's work, um, and you can go to iTunes or, or I mean Apple Podcasts. I always get it wrong, but you can go to your podcast rating app of choice 
and give us a five-star review and leave a comment. We love hearing from everyone. And more than anything else, everyone, please just tell your friends about the show. Um, and we're at that odious time where I try to figure out some clever way to close out the episode that is vaguely reminiscent of the thing we talked about. Jeff, do you have any suggestions for that? <laughs> Ooh, how to close out the show. Uh, I guess you guys could hit each other over the head with violins. <laughs> That's pretty good. Mine's pretty <laughs> waterlogged, though. I'm going to need to ring it out first. I've had this one in my family for generations. It's priceless, but I, I guess, you know, comedy first. Maybe I'll just cry gently until the outro starts, and then we can like put in some just terrifying, weeping mouse, cr- crazy harmonica, awful sound noises. Yeah, I don't know how you're gonna cut the music up for this one. I feel like you're just gonna put Cuphead music in and just I, yeah, maybe just Cuphead throughout the entire throughout the entire podcast. Could be that would work. 